Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, 20-plus-year industry veteran Steve Taylor discusses his new book on car buying and the future of the business in the digital age. Also this morning, wild rituals. What can we learn from the animal kingdom that can help us make sense of our world and forge better connections with our fellow human beings? Our ongoing Keeping the Faith a series this morning, if you look back on your life as a book, would you like to delete a sentence, a paragraph, even an entire chapter? What if God could turn the worst parts of that story into your greatest victories? And we have details on upcoming programs and the latest exhibits for 2021 at the Hancock Historical Museum. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Wednesday, February 3rd, 2021. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. The WTOL 11 first alert forecast is calling for sunny skies today and a high of 25. Partly cloudy tonight and a low of 15. A Finley woman is facing felony drug charges after a task force searched her residence. The Hancock County Metric Drug Task Force, along with the Finley Police Department, executed a search warrant at 301 Edith Avenue. They say a search of the residence yielded a large amount of crack and powder cocaine, as well as other illegal drugs. The woman was arrested and booked at the Hancock County Justice Center. Authorities say charges of drug trafficking are expected at the conclusion of the investigation. Get more on our website. Governor Mike DeWine and First Lady Fran DeWine have received their first dose of the coronavirus vaccine from their family physician. All right. You can expect a little soreness at the injection site and maybe even a little redness. There's a possibility that you can have a little bit of a low-grade fever and maybe some body aches. Usually that's short-lived. Usually with the first vaccine, it's very, very minimal. Both the governor and his wife qualified to receive the vaccine this week as part of the Ohio Department of Health's phased vaccination plan. Meantime, the governor says doses of the vaccine given at several long-term care facilities in Ohio may have been compromised. DeWine says Walgreens delivered a batch that was apparently stored at inadequate temperatures to five different uh, five different facilities. Nobody was injured, but residents and workers at those facilities must be revaccinated. Get more on our website. The Finley Rotary Club is looking for three of the most outstanding teachers in Finley and Hancock County. The club is expecting uh, is, is accepting nominations for its 2021 Golden Apple Awards. One of the winners last year was Finley Elementary teacher Lainey Sapp. I think all of us teachers tonight, a common theme was that we're just so thankful to watch, be able to watch that growth that each student does. And it's different for every student to be able to be part of that process. It's pretty amazing. Nominations for the Golden Apple Awards will be accepted until April 2nd. We have more details and a link to a nomination form on our website. Get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. Matt Demchek, WFIN News. There is always a reason to celebrate, and today is American Painters Day, honoring all American painters with a special emphasis on Norman Rockwell, who was born on this date in 1894. So, American Painters Day. It is also Doggy Date Night, International Golden Retriever Day. Take your golden retriever on a date. National Carrot Cake Day, National Girls and Women in Sports Day, National Missing Persons Day, National Wedding Ring Day, Take a Cruise Day, but make sure you wear a mask. It is World Read Aloud Day, and it is National Signing Day today. So, 
is a big day for college football fans. National Signing Day. Reasons to celebrate this morning. Some of the uh, most interesting and uh, buzzworthy stories to start off your day. Imagine waking up from a coma into the world that we live in today. Uh, 19-year-old Joseph Flavel lives in the UK, was rushed to the hospital on March 1st, 2020, after he was hit by a car and suffered severe brain damage. He went into a coma, and this was, mind you, March 1st, 2020, three weeks before the UK began its first lockdown. Since then, he, uh, this young man has uh, caught and survived COVID-19 not once but twice, once while still in a coma. Only his mom has been allowed to spend time with him in person in the hospital. One of his relatives says, we don't know how much he understands as his accident was before the first lockdown and he's basically slept through the whole pandemic. Can you imagine? This story got me to thinking, can you imagine waking up today and having slept through the pandemic to this point? The only thing that you can remember, the last thing you can remember is life as normal more than a year ago. And uh, that would be... That would be crazy, wouldn't it? Uh, relatives also say that uh, Mr. Flavel is uh, making good progress in the hospital. In recent weeks, he is now in recent weeks he is now blinking, smiling, and is able to give his nurses high fives. So it looks like maybe, maybe he is on uh, the road to recovery or some semblance of recovery. But can you imagine waking up to the world we live in now, having slept through the entire pandemic? That is just crazy what would you think what would you think if you woke up today and it was the first you had learned of the pandemic and then you learned that the world has been pretty much locked down for an entire year i mean i that just blows my mind to uh, to think of that so anyway since uh, so many people have been working from home because of the coronavirus pandemic there has been talk that uh, work might never return exactly to the way it used to be, with some people perhaps working from home permanently, or at least several days out of the week. And the point has been brought up that this gives the term working vacation an entirely new meaning, because so many people can uh, do their jobs remotely, the idea being you could travel anytime you want as long as you take some time out of your day to do your job and, and so on, uh, you could just be a nomad and a globe hopper while still keeping your job. So uh, you know, the idea that people could live in different places uh, because the company is uh, able to, uh, you know, you, you could do your job uh, remotely. So anyway, I bring all of this up. I mentioned this because Airstream... The uh, RV company, uh, based in Ohio, uh, the uh, you know the classic Airstream trailers, uh, they're, they're aluminum campers, they want to let people take this to the next logical step, working not only from a home base, but from the road or from a campsite, they have added office space to one of their new uh, RV camper models. 
That's right. Uh, the new Airstream Flying Cloud 30FB has a small office space with a desk and an office chair that uh, uh, also has hookups for internet connections and a, a mounting place for a computer monitor. So you have your, your little office there in your camper. There are also overhead storage areas with dry erase boards uh, on the uh, on the door. So you make your notes, reminders. Uh, the trailer, it says, can, uh, can sleep six people, and the office space can actually convert into a sleeping space if needed. But uh, <laughs> that, is, that is the latest stuff. That is brilliant. That is brilliant. Um, and uh, by the way, speaking of... COVID-19, if you are lucky enough to get a COVID-19 vaccine very soon, you should resist the urge to post a photo of your vaccination card on social media. This is a warning from the BBB, the Better Business Bureau, uh, who uh, advised folks of this a couple of days ago, saying the self-identifying information on your vaccination card because when you get vaccinated, they give you a card, number one, so that it places where access is restricted to those who haven't been, been vaccinated. Like, for example, if you're uh, traveling, a lot of places uh, will make travelers present proof that they either uh, tested negative or have been vaccinated. So this would be your, your vaccination verification. But also because uh, the uh, vaccines or at least the the two most popular right now uh, require two doses, but you have to get the same company's vaccine for the second dose. You got the, third, the first. You can't mix and match. So they give you a card so they know which one you got. Anyway, the self-identifying information on your vaccination card is people are, are posting these sort of like uh, on election day when people posted their voting stickers. But the vaccination card has self-identifying information that could make you vulnerable to identity theft and could also help scammers create phony vaccination cards. So, uh, and again, depending on what your privacy settings are on social media, uh, anybody can see those photos, most likely, and you may be giving valuable information away for anyone to use. Um... The worry is the cards have full names and birth dates listed on them, along with where you receive the vaccine. So, and by the way, they said this is not just conjecture. Uh, in Great Britain, scammers have already been caught selling fake vaccination cards on eBay. And uh, they say it's only a matter of time before the same scams make their way to the U.S. They say, instead, you can black out all of that information, or better still, uh, share your vaccine sticker, again, like your voting sticker, just share that uh, on your uh, social media profile if you want to brag about getting the vaccine. So anyway, just a little word to the wise there. Uh, let's see here. Oh, and I saw this uh, on, the, on the newswire this morning, and I had to. it gave me a little chuckle. It says, if you have never cracked open a good book, in the great outdoors, you might want to start. University of New York researchers found that reading traditional printed books 
outdoors is actually better for your eyes than reading a book indoors because outdoor lighting improves contrast levels on the page, making it easier to see what you are reading. It's less uh, st- less strain on your eyes. They say because it's greater contrast. The uh, scientists hope the finding will encourage people to step outside to read if they can. But maybe not today. <laughs> we talk about curling up by the fire with a good book. They're trying to get you to step outside with a good book. But it is 11 degrees this morning, and it feels like zero. So I don't care. I'm going to stay inside. Uh, anyway, there you go. Some of the most uh, interesting and buzzworthy stories to start off your Wednesday morning. Take WFIN wherever you go with our updated mobile apps for iPhone and Android. And now you can listen to us on your Alexa device. Get the app at WFIN.com or in the App Store or Google Play. Plus, enable Alexa by searching for WFIN under Skills and you'll soon be saying, Alexa, play 1330 WFIN. And the best part is the apps and skills are absolutely free. On the air at 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Online at WFIN.com and on your smartphone, tablet, and Alexa devices. Well, according to the analysts at KBB, the average cost of a new car in 2020 was $37,876. Used car prices are often $20K or more, and because these are depreciating assets, as we know, making a mistake can be extremely costly. Steve Taylor is the personification of the industry insider. We all know his uh, Taylor Automotive family of dealerships here in Findlay and elsewhere. He has a new book called Taylor Made Car Buying Tips to Save You Time and Money. And Steve, first, let me ask the obvious question just to get that out of the way. Why should people take advice from someone who has a vested interest in getting me to spend money? <laughs> Sure. Great question. <laughs> Without a doubt. So this book has been a bucket list goal of mine for many years. And uh, really, the, the reason behind it was to help th- change the industry. You know, we've got a black eye in our industry of, of you know, not not always thinking for the customer and trying to do things to help the customer. And I won't go into the whole long backstory. But years ago, I had a pif- an epiphany where I said, you know what, I'm changing the way that I do things. I want to be a difference maker. So every day I wake up, trying to make a positive difference in someone's life. And that's really what led me to this book. I speak to a lot of local high school kids, senior classes, um, first-time car buyers. And this book, I thought, was a way that I could help not just first-time car buyers, but anybody who's ever had a bad experience by giving them a little bit more uh, behind-the-scenes information, behind-the-curtain information, if you will, on buying a car. And so I've been doing it for over 20 years. Um, We've had some successes with some of our stores in you know Toledo, Finley, Lima areas. And so I want to be able to take some of the things that I've seen from my side and turn it around to the customer's point of view and say, hey, if you come into the dealership armed with some of this initial information, I think it'll not only help you save money, but save time and actually at the end of the day, have an enjoyable car buying experience, which too many people today, they don't, they yeah. just don't have that enjoyable, fun car buying experience. To your point, uh, as you were alluding to, car dealers are often perceived as the enemy by many car buyers. Is that harder to overcome in the digital age when there is so much information and so many options available to, to buyers from Craigslist to Carvana? Sure. I, I think it's actually helped. I think the internet age and all the information out there has helped. And it's sort of broken down uh, the barrier, if you will. I believe back in the day when the dealers, the, the dealers had all the information, they, they held all the cards. 
the customers didn't know the invoice cost of a vehicle. They didn't know the approximate trade-in of their vehicle. You know, certain things like that that were difficult for customers to get a hold of, now they can get with a click of a button. I think it actually makes it easier. It makes it easier for us to do our job because so many customers can come into the dealership with more information at their fingertips. And that's what we encourage people to do. And that's what I talk about in the book. Just one of the steps, come in prepared, know your credit score, know your payoff on your vehicle, know the approximate value of your vehicle, know your budget, you know, certain things like that. And you'd be shocked that a lot of people come into the dealership um, without having that information already. When it's already there and available, it's pretty easy to do. And it's a step that can really help save you a lot of money and a lot of time. Of course, the flip side of that, and we've seen it in so, there are so many examples uh, of this that we have seen uh, over the past couple of years, uh, information that is online uh, problem is not all of it is accurate, obviously. So how do consumers know what they can believe and what they can trust when they do that online part of their research? Sure, that's a great point. And it's uh, something that is very difficult. While researching the book and going online and looking at different things, one, it's a great point that you just brought up. One of the things I noticed was they showed uh, a certain website showed rebates for different manufacturers, mm-hmm. and it would list the different current incentives. And I noticed that the incentives that listed for our, some of our vehicles were not accurate. Um, they, they showed lar- a lot larger incentives than were available. And on the flip side, there were some vehicles that had a, a smaller incentive. So that, that is it, difficult information to always gather. I know manufacturers have certain websites that, and will give information. Um, I think a lot of times people will say, they're, they're this, the, the sleuth, they'll say, hey, I've got a way that you can you know, save a bunch of money or here's what the dealer is hiding behind you. That information is always going to be out there. Um, so I think what you need to do is gather all the information and then check out and double check your information through, through manufacturers, websites, through dealer websites. Um, I think you could probably find pretty quickly if, if one dealer is offering a $5,000 incentive on a vehicle and everyone else is only offering a thousand or, you know, a $500 rebate that, that might sound too good to be true. You might want to double check those, that information. Uh, as you were mentioning before, the subtitle of the book talks about saving time and money. What is the biggest thing that car buyers do that tends to waste both? <laughs> yeah, good point. Um, a lot of times people come in, I believe, with expectations that can be difficult for, for a dealer to, to meet. Um, we try to tell customers right up front, let's use some simple math. Let's find out what their budget is. And you know, someone might come in. Uh, and they want a $200 or $300 car payment, but they're looking at a thirty dollars or a $40,000 vehicle. Like you said in the beginning of the show, the car prices continue to go up and up and up. Well, with that, so do car payments. I believe last I checked, the national average uh, new car payment was inching closer to $600 a month. I believe it was $560 or $580-some a month. Used car payments continue to go uh, north of $400 a month. So customers still have an expectation to come in and, and receive that two or $250, $300 payment. But simple math will tell you if you take a $30,000 vehicle and divide it by 60 months, that's a $500 payment before interest or taxes. Right. And so a lot of times people just don't, don't even think about that. So if, if you want to have a lower payment, then obviously we, you know, we'll need to look at a lease or maybe look at uh, uh, money down you know, there's, or a longer, longer term. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of times customers come in with expectations um, that might not meet their payment requirements or their budget requirements that they they also come in with. So we've got uh, we've got some things that we do at the dealership to make the negotiation process easy. We we talk about you know there's three main points to a car deal that t- people typically have a certain car that they want. They have a certain payment or a budget that they have in mind, and they have a certain down payment in mind. So a lot of times we'll say, hey, 
you pick two and let us pick one. We actually call it the Gherkin Triangle. Jerry Gherkin, who's a longtime Finley resident, he's a great salesperson over at our Kia store in Finley. He's come up with that and he shared it with a lot of our different teams and our different stores. And that process really does simplify things and says, mm. hey, you know, you come in, if you want a Kia Sorento and it's a $30,000 vehicle and you want a $300 payment, well, you pick those two things and, and we're going to have to tell you what the down payment will be based on what the bank requirements are. Yeah. A lot of times I think people get frustrated with the dealership when in fact it's the bank, you know, that's telling us the certain parameters of or, the car deal. Or so, or just simple math, as you were talking about, and there's nothing that anybody exactly. can do about that. Um, <laughs> of course, this right. is of course this is not just a book about buying from your dealerships, uh, and there are so many alternatives that have popped up in recent years. Pretty vogue right now, these apps that uh, promise that you can buy a car haggle-free and hassle-free, sometimes without, without even setting foot in a dealership. I'm curious from your point of view, is the internet going to make traditional dealerships obsolete like it has newspapers and to a certain extent cable TV? Sure. That's something we definitely touch on in the book. And you're right. The book's not just about uh, our, our group of dealerships because I wanted anyone, whether they were California, Colorado, Connecticut, any any state in the United States that they could buy the book and, and use the tips inside to help them get a better deal. And even locally, if whether they buy from us or not, my goal still is to let people save time, save money, and actually enjoy the car buying experience. I think long-term, and, and I talk about it at the end of the book, I don't believe dealerships are going to go to the wayside. I think people have a fascination with cars. People enjoy buying cars. They like that. You always hear about the new car smell. They like to get behind the vehicle. Um, they'd like to touch it, you know, drive it, see the bells and whistles and the features on the vehicle. I do believe, though, that the internet will make car buying easier. I think also we've already seen more transparency. We actually have seen customers that can go online, they can find a car. We, we, we sell customers from California. We sell customers from North Carolina, Florida, Georgia. They go online, they find our vehicle, and they'll come in because we have the best price. So a lot of times people look at the car as a commodity and say, hey, I just want the best price. Mm -hmm. But I think there's still people that enjoy having that relationship and having someone that they can count on at a dealership that they know is going to be there to help them if they ever have any problems. And when you, you know, you're, it's not like buying a pair of shoes from Amazon or from Zappos where you just, it's a quick transaction and you get the shoes and you wear them and you know, you, yeah. you, you, you move on buying a car. I think does it, it, it actually is more emotional and it's a, you know, for a lot of people, it's the first or the second largest purchase they'll ever make in their mm -hmm. life. And so I think a lot of times people want to have that relationship with their local dealer um, because of the ongoing treatment that they want to receive. Mm -hmm. Let's face it, vehicles break down and, and vehicles need regularly scheduled maintenance. And so there's a service department attached to every one of our dealerships for a reason so we can help keep these cars maintained and running. And it, I tell you, when customers come back in to get an oil change and they pop in just to say hello um, and, and they see me, they see the, the salespeople. There's a relationship that you develop there. And I talk a lot of, about it a lot where people have, they have a doctor, they have an attorney, they have a dentist, they even have a real estate agent today. Mm -hmm. But not many people have that car guy or car gal yeah. that they can call up and say, hey, could you help me? My son's looking for a car. Could you help me? My check engine light just came on. Could you get me into service? And I think mm -hmm. a lot of people appreciate that. And for that reason, I don't think the dealership model will ever be completely obsolete like you said, some of the newspapers and cable yeah. TV. L let me ask you this. I just have a, a little bit of time, about a minute left here. But uh, let me ask you this, too, along those same lines. It's less about what's in the book and, and more about drawing on your 20-plus years experience in the business. 
most domestic automakers now have stopped making automobiles. Uh, it's all SUVs and trucks. We keep hearing that electric vehicles are going to replace combustion-powered vehicles. Then there are autonomous vehicles on down the road. What do our roads look like 25 years from now? That's, that is a great point. You, and and I, I often wonder that too. You know, autonomous vehicles, that's a whole, I, I think there's got to be a lot of changes. I'm not sure how quickly we can make that happen. Like you said, the roads just themselves will have to be completely different um, than they are today. Um, ride sharing, you know, Uber and Lyft, that's another, um, a whole, a whole another discussion mm-hmm. with the way the, the new car market is today. And will sure. people really want to buy a car and have a car and own a car and have a monthly payment? Uh, we're already seeing that in larger cities where they, you know, they don't necessarily, people don't need cars. Yeah. Um, and trucks and SUVs with gas prices going up, uh, I think we're going to see a little bit of a shift back to fuel-efficient four-door sedans. And and we've seen it in the past. You know, what goes up comes down, what goes down comes up. Mm. We've seen it with, with gas prices. People do love having SUVs, full-size trucks, but when gas prices inch closer to $3, $4 a gallon, it sure is nice to get in a fuel-efficient four-door sedan that gets close to 40 miles per gallon. Yeah. Again, uh, Steve Taylor, uh, you know him from the uh, Taylor uh, Automotive family of dealerships. He has a new book called Taylor Made, Car Buying Tips to Save You Time and Money. And where do we learn more about the book? Sure. You can uh, go to my website, stevetaylormade.com. It has a link right to Amazon. You can purchase the book on Amazon, but it'll also give you a little bit of uh, background information about the book, share with you some of the information that uh, is in the book, and see if it's something that you'd like to purchase to save you some time and money. Steve, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you for your time. I appreciate being on the show. Have a great day. Okay, here is a unique way of looking at one of today's most uh, prominent societal issues. Caitlin O'Connell is uh, author of the new book, Wild Rituals, 10 Lessons Animals Can Teach Us About Connection, Community, and Ourselves. And uh, Caitlin, this is just out earlier this month and immediately a number one new release on Amazon. So obviously you have struck a chord with many people here. Why do you think that is? Yeah, so rituals are really important in our lives and, and you know, we live such technologically driven lives that we forget that even simple things like greeting, you know, saying hello, looking each other in the eye and smiling. Uh, what what's striking a chord right now is that we're actually some of our rituals are being taken away by the pandemic and we are isolated and we don't get to smile at each other. You know, we're all wearing masks and we're not able to yeah. shake hands or hug. Um, and, and now I think people are realizing the things that are lost and not engaging in rituals as simple as greeting. Yeah. And, and how important they are. And was this the book that you intended to write? I mean, did you go into this research specifically to find these traits that you could then apply to the human experience? Or did you have sort of an aha moment while you were doing the research? I actually intended to write this, not really realizing how much it would resonate today, <laughs> uh, not knowing a pandemic would happen. Um, but uh, no, after studying elephants for 30 years in the wild and watching how different social animals engage in ritual, it really, I had an aha moment a couple of years ago 
thinking how striking it is, how similar our rituals are to other social animals. And I wanted to make that connection to help people feel more connected to nature and to each other. Yeah. So let's start with the animals that you studied. They include elephants, uh, apes, zebras, rhinos, lions, whales, flamingos. What other uh, species and why? Well, I would add wolves, rhinos, uh, zebra to that list. Mm-hmm. Um, because they have very overt um, ritual that I, I thought we would relate to, like wolves, how important greeting is to wolves is something we could relate to because many of us have dogs and dogs have a very similar way of greeting and Mm. they never um, overlook the importance of greeting. They always are happy to see you. And, you know, even within your own family, you wake up and you're grumpy and you're going to make your breakfast. You might not even look at your loved ones, even though you, it doesn't mean you don't love them. You just not taking this ritual yeah. as the important gesture that it is. Every one of those animals are unique in their own way. Elephants, obviously, very different than flamingos. But did you notice some commonality uh, across all or, or most of the species that you studied? Yes. Um, if you think about what ritual really is, I mean, people think about it with maybe a religious or spiritual right but it's actually a series of repeated uh movements or expressions where it it causes you to focus and the act of causing you to focus on the ritual helps you concentrate it has lots of um mental benefits as well as bonding benefits if you let's for example if you're in a marching band or if you're in a chorus or a symphony or uh, swimming, synchronized mm-hmm. swimming. That you can imagine as you're watching synchronized swimmers how coordinated that effort is. And group rituals evolved in humans actually to help us hunt better. So anthropologists believe in the in our early days when we had to take down very large animals. Um, in order to do that, we had to learn how to coordinate and trust each other. And group rituals bring people together in order to, to help do this. And, and I've seen this in many other animals like lions hunting. It's a very coordinated mm-hmm. effort. And then as uh, we experience this pandemic in the here and now and also some group rituals that actually are, are not um, constructive uh, <laughs> well, in, in our in our political situation, and and it's just a demonstration of how powerful group rituals are. They can yeah. really bond people within a group, but then that group identity can cause you to not like individuals outside your group, yeah, and that's where that's, we have to recognize. You make a good point that uh, not all of these uh, rituals, certainly that we have adopted, uh, especially of late, have necessarily been positive. So the, the 10 rituals that you outline in the book are uh, greeting, group, courtship, giving, spoken and unspoken, play, grieving, renewal, and travel, migration, and reconnection. Again, were these kind of predetermined or did you come up with this list because those were the ones that you were, uh, that you were observing? Well, I felt like these would be the most constructive for us to 
focus on mm-hmm. and the most obvious ones, easy to see in nature, things that I thought would resonate with people because they're, it's easy to greet someone. It's, these are very easy rituals, but if you're not paying attention to them, mm-hmm. you might neglect them. Yeah. So uh, what lessons, uh, again, referencing the uh, subtitle of the book, 10 Lessons That Animals Can Teach Us, what lessons can these animals teach us? I mean, what would be right up there at the top of the list? Um, the biggest lesson is to have stronger relationships with each other and watching how these rituals play out in very tightly uh, knit social groups in another species helps you kind of be more reflective of yourself and, and look in the mirror. Also, the um, rituals of renewal p- particularly help us to think more about how to strengthen our inner self in order to be a better, stronger friend on the outside. Again, they certainly will resonate with uh, many people, especially right now. Caitlin O'Connell is author of Wild Rituals, 10 Lessons Animals Can Teach Us About Connection, Community, and Ourselves. Do you have a website in conjunction with the book that we can guide folks to learn more? Uh, sure. My um, my author website is caitlinoconnell.com. Again, I'm just, uh, I'm blown away anytime we, we talk about looking at, at the animal world, the animal kingdom, and the lessons that we can learn uh, from that. Caitlin O'Connell, thanks very much for taking the time this morning. We certainly appreciate it. Best of luck with the book. Thanks so much, Chris. It was great to, to be here. And now... Our ongoing Keeping the Faith series this morning. Think about this. If you were to write your life story, you were to write an autobiography, uh, for example, if you were looking back on your life, all of the events of your life, uh, as you would a book, you write it and then you'd, you'd want to edit it, right? Uh, so as you're looking back on your life story, are there some elements of that would you like to delete a sentence here and there or even wipe out a paragraph or even forget about an entire chapter of that book well what if god could turn those worst parts of that story into your greatest victories instead correspondent john clemens has more this morning keeping the faith as the co-host of proverbs 31 ministries for 10 years Sharon Janes now writes their online devotions in First 5 Bible Study app. Her 25th book is When You Don't Like Your Story, with the subtitle, What If Your Worst Chapters Could Become Your Greatest Victories? Some of her advice includes Don't Get Stuck. I've been with so many women who did not like their stories, and it's not usually the whole of their story they don't like, but just certain chapters and certain pages of their story. And so many people get stuck in the worst parts of their stories. And what I want to help them do is to see that what we consider to be the worst parts of our stories can be what God uses the most if we allow Him to heal us and then find redemption in that story. She tells us not to get stuck in the parts you don't like to define the person you are now. Well, we can't go back and change the past, but we can certainly repurpose the past. And as I mentioned, many of us stop in the middle of a bad story when God wants to keep writing. So the way we have a new ending to a bad chapter in our lives is to continue to let God heal us 
and move us forward. Sharon Janes writes about the steps you can take if you don't like your story. That means we have to make a decision that we're going to leave that stuck place, if we've been stuck in a bad story. And for some, that's leaving a place of being wounded and being healed. You must be able to leave what she calls the shame place. Then we have to secondly forgive those people who have hurt us in our past, understand what biblical forgiveness is. We have to come out of that shame place. I call it coming out of the pain place and coming out of the shame place. When You Don't Like Your Story is a book about finding the forgiveness of God so you can help others. The fourth step is in using what we've gone through to help someone else. And when we do that, that's when we have a brand new story because it's not just about being a victim or being someone who made bad choices, but now using what we've learned to help someone else. We go from being, being wounded to being healed and then being someone who can help others be healed. The Bible is full of imperfect people used by God in a perfect way. All we have to do is look at the Bible, and every single person that God used in Scripture, either they made terrible mistakes or something terrible happened to them, and God used every one of those difficult circumstances and turned it around and used it for good, mainly to strengthen them. Like Sharon James has done, you too can become a safe place. Many times when I'm speaking and when I'm traveling, women will sit down and tell me stories that they've never told anyone before. Or maybe they've only told a few people before because they know they're never going to see me again, most likely. And they trust me because I've told them my story and I've become a safe place. Use the steps in the book by Sharon Janes to help others. Once I've talked to that woman and, and help her know the steps to healing, and then I could encourage her to then tell her story, that's when her worst chapters can become her greatest victories, because then it's no longer something she's ashamed of, but something that she is using to make Jesus visible to other people. You may encounter some who decide to remain around the pool at Bethesda. We have to make a decision that we want to move forward. And until we make that decision, we will stay stuck. It reminds me of when Jesus spoke to the man who had been by that pool of Bethesda, lame, for 38 years. And Jesus walks up to him and he asks him, do you want to get well? And we think, of course he does. But no, sometimes we don't. Here's how to get in touch with Sharon Janes about her latest book, When You Don't Like Your Story. They can visit me at SharonJanes.com. My last name's a little strange. It's J-A-Y-N-E-S, so SharonJanes.com. Uh, my other resources are there, a lot of free downloads for the listeners. And in this book, When You Don't Like Your Story, What If Your Worst Chapters Could Become Your Greatest Victories, we will also have it um, on my website as well. This is John Clemens reporting. You know what I love about that story is this is the time of the year when we think about the first of the year, kind of giving our lives a reset, putting everything in the past in the past, just wiping it all out. And maybe instead of running away from our past or trying to forget it, maybe, just maybe, we can use those parts of our lives that we'd like to forget instead to inspire us to live better lives. Such an inspiring uh, mindset in that sense. And we've got the link up at our webpage. Go to goodmornings.net. Keeping the faith this morning. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. 
Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news, a service, more or less, of Hancock County Veteran Services. Firefighters in Connecticut on Monday rescued two people from a pickup truck that had become submerged in the icy waters of Long Island Sound at the height of the snowstorm, the big nor'easter that hit the uh, uh, east coast uh, earlier this week. Now, you might think, why is this uh, odd, unusual, or rather humorous? Well, according to officials, the the driver was doing donuts in the snow-covered parking lot at the harbor at Cummings Park in Stamford when the truck plunged into the frigid water. <laughs> they, they were It's this big, huge snowstorm, huge nor'easter. Let's go out and do donuts in the snow. Uh, the rescue that followed was captured on video, shows Stanford uh, firefighters in special thermal gear going into the water to pull the occupants out of the sinking pickup back to safety. Bet they won't do that again. <clears throat> well, I know they won't do that again because the... Uh, Trucks at the bottom of Long Island Sound. <laughs> Doing donuts in a snowstorm. Bird watching is taking a surprising turn in one Texas community. Uh, neighbors in the Fort Worth area have seen cedar wax wings. I'm not familiar with those uh, birds, cedar wax wings. Apparently, they've been acting disoriented and flying into windows. It turns out they're drunk. That's right. The birds are drunk. Uh, they got that way after eating fermented berries. <laughs> so the birds get drunk and flying into things. Um, a state wildlife biologist says it's actually pretty common since the birds tend to overindulge. <laughs> they got, these birds are lushes. Um, thanks to their large livers, however, they say they do not suffer any long-term effects. That is uh, that is good. And apparently they have hard heads flying into all of these things. The uh, birds uh, typically stick around until April, so they've got some time. There'll be <laughs> birds flying into everything. Must be quite a sight. In Louisiana, Iberville Parish Councilman Raheem Pierce is learning the hard way that not everything should be posted to social media. Over the weekend, Councilman Pierce posted a picture to Facebook claiming to have killed at least 10 robins in his backyard and frying them up for breakfast. <laughs> he, he killed... Uh, nearly a dozen robins in his backyard and fried them up for breakfast and posted about this on Facebook. Uh, robins are migratory songbirds that are actually federally protected, thus making Mr. Pierce's actions illegal. Agents with the State Department of Wildlife and Fisheries said possible penalties could be up to a $1,000 fine and or 120 days in jail. In a statement, Councilman Pierce said that he is ready to face whatever consequences are coming his way. <laughs> I must admit, I have never uh, considered frying up robins for breakfast. Don't do that. Speaking of the fact that not everything should be posted to social media, an Illinois woman is accused of attacking her boyfriend and posting that on Snapchat Police say Alexis Sykes' boyfriend was asleep at their apartment in Roselle, Illinois, when she poured boiling water on him and then allegedly filmed a Snapchat video of him struggling in agony and uh, taking off to the hospital, captioning it with a shrugging shoulder emoji. Yeah, well. 
Prosecutors say the man suffered severe burns. Uh, his skin was actually peeling off his arms, had to undergo skin graft surgery. He's going to recover, but uh, Ms. Sykes is now facing charges of uh, aggravated battery uh, and aggravated domestic battery. Authorities did not reveal a motive for the incident. But I would imagine he's probably looking for a new girlfriend. That would be my guess. <laughs> Can't imagine why there would be trouble in the relationship. You know, that's hard to believe that there would be trouble in that relationship. But in any event, you don't post this on social media. What's wrong with you? Uh, and finally, in the broken news this morning, this is definitely odd and unusual. The toilet seat from Adolf Hitler's home in Bavaria is being put up for auction. You heard that right. Adolf Hitler's personal toilet seat is being put up for auction. Apparently, the story goes, at the end of World War II, a U.S. military policeman by the name of Rangvold Borsch took the seat as soldiers overtook Adolf, Adolf Hitler's residence in Bavaria. For decades, the seat had been on display in his basement of his New Jersey home, but now... His son is looking to sell the Hitler throne, as it were. It is uh, white. It is wooden. As of yet, no one has offered the opening bid of $5,000. $5,000. The auction ends today. So, if you have ever wanted add Adolf Hitler's personal toilet seat your World War II collection, now is your chance. There you go. That is today's Broken News Report, brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. This is Joe Mazzola, Health Commissioner at Franklin County Public Health. The COVID-19 pandemic is impacting us all in new ways. The stress of COVID-19 has resulted in a rise in drug and alcohol use, and drug misuse can happen in your home. 42% of teens who misuse prescription pills get them from their parents' medicine cabinets. Visit DontLiveInDenial.org to learn how to dispose of your leftover pills and talk to your kids about opioids. Time now for your daily download. The numbers behind the news, the statistics that shape our lives. We are close to a year into the coronavirus pandemic right now, and you might think, that things would be getting easier because we've had time to adjust to this quote-unquote new normal. But a new survey out yesterday finds that Americans right now are the most stressed out they have been since all of this began. Uh, This is a Harris poll conducted for the American Psychological Association in which respondents said the reported the highest average levels of stress since last April which is, of course, when COVID-19 cases and, more importantly, uh, deaths began to spike for the first time. So the highest levels of average stress since last April. Now, it should be noted, this is not all about the pandemic. Things like political unrest and economic uncertainty play into this. But some of that, I think, is uh, maybe can be traced back to the pandemic. But nonetheless, the number one... Well, it's it's kind of interesting. It said... Uh, 84% uh, report feeling at least one emotion 
tied to prolonged stress in the last two weeks. 84%. The largest trigger was the future of America. People worried about the future of America. 81% identified that as a significant stressor. Now, mind you, people can identify more than one in this, so that's why you have high numbers across the board. 81% said the future of America was a big stress trigger, followed by the pandemic at 80%, political unrest at 74%, two-thirds, or 66% of those in the survey, named the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol as a significant source of stress, which is interesting because, number one, the survey was taken nearly three weeks after that happened, and number two, presumably... Uh, Most people in the survey were not impacted necessarily directly or were not there or not part of it, but still a significant cause of stress. The APA, the American Psychological Association, offers some advice to help manage stress, including taking a break from the news and social media, staying connected with friends and family as best you can, and take a couple of self-care breaks throughout the day it doesn't have to be long just 15 minutes or a half hour to take a short walk call a friend or watch a funny show sarah sisser is on the line with us now from the hancock historical museum hey sarah by the way you wouldn't have any interest in adding to the museum collection the uh official uh toilet seat from adolf hitler's home would you Adolf oh. Hitler's personal toilet seat. We mentioned. I did not realize that that one was up for grabs. Yeah, so no, I think uh, we'll pass on we that. Uh, mentioned that in the uh, broken news a little bit uh, earlier. Uh, if folks uh, didn't hear it, apparently uh, it was um, appropriated uh, this artifact uh, by a uh, U.S. Army MP as at the end of World War II, as soldiers sure. over, uh, overtook uh, Bavaria and. Uh, uh, Adolf Hitler's home, and he, uh, I guess, grabbed the toilet seat in this artifact, has been in his home ever since. Now his son has put it up for auction. It ends today, but they still don't have any bids, and the opening bid is a mere $5,000. So wow. I, I know you got the bathtub from the main, so... <laughs> I'm thinking maybe we this... We do. Some interesting artifacts in our collections, but I think we'd have to pass on that one. <laughs> no interest <laughs> in Adolf have... Hitler's toilet seat. Oh, well. Not directly related to Hancock County. I just history, thought I, I would throw it out there, you know, because <laughs> uh, anyway, it's uh, it's out there. So anyway, uh, Sarah, good morning to you. The uh, museum... Good morning. The museum was actually uh, closed in the month of January, but it was not pandemic-related. You're always closed in the month of uh, January, right? That's right. We always take the month of January to kind of reassess and put up some new exhibits, um, do some uh, January cleaning, not spring cleaning, um, Mm -hmm. just make sure that we're all ready to go for this next calendar year. So we're excited to be welcoming guests again starting today. And what is new at the uh, museum? What uh, have you added to uh, the, uh, I I would say added to the collection, but it's not so much that. It's just stuff, you know, rotates on display and off of display and so on. So what is new? We try to add to the experience um, every year something a little bit different for our visitors. So we still have uh, on display our exhibit celebrating the 100th anniversary of women's suffrage since mm-hmm. we didn't have a great opportunity to promote that or, and a lot of guests weren't able to join us last year because of the pandemic you can still come and see that this year so that's on display we also have a new exhibit that will be opening um, next week called um, love letters a jazz age romance and that one it, we're really excited about it focuses on um, the 
the love story between a local gentleman, um, Earl, went by Bill Kennedy of the Kennedy Printing Family. Okay. Um, and we received in donation uh, last year a collection of about 80 love letters that he wrote to his fiance at the time who was living in Cleveland. Mm. And so we've taken those love letters, which have a lot of just great everyday information about life in the 1920s in Finley, and created an exhibit that really highlights some of those everyday things like dancing at Riverside Park at the dance hall and uh, golfing at the Finley Country Club Hmm. um, and kind of keyed into some of those things. And we've also made it um, an interactive exhibit where you can view all of this information on our website as well. So for guests that may not be um, capable or comfortable visiting the museum in person right now, you're still able to interact with this exhibit and get all of the same content through our website. That is really cool, and it and it speaks to the the fact that there is uh, historical significance in what would maybe sometimes seem rather ordinary or mundane. Uh, everything uh, can be uh, there are things that can be gleaned from uh, even like you said these love letters about uh, you know what life was like back in the day. Yeah, you're exactly right, Chris, and I think that's what really um, interested us as historians about these letters. This is the kind of information that doesn't usually make it to the history books, but things that we always wonder about. Yeah. Just those everyday, sort of the nuanced detail of life in the 1920s. So that's what we're loving about these letters, and I think other people will really enjoy the story as well. Um, so right now, you can visit our website at HancockHistoricalMuseum.org. You can see all of the letters. They've all been scanned. We've also transcribed them so you can read the letters, and if you want to, you can listen to the letters. We've had um, volunteers uh, read through all of the letters, and so we have these great audio recordings. Mm. Um, so you have those three options. And then when you come to see the exhibit in person, we also have QR codes embedded in the exhibit that you can just use your smartphone to scan those QR codes oh, awesome. and get some additional content as you're going through. That is uh, that is awesome. And, and along those same lines, uh, one of the reasons we bring that up is you know, these are sometimes things that, that people might keep in a box uh, as or uh, might accidentally get uh, thrown away just as, you know, people not realizing how significant they are. But you are uh, also, and this is an ongoing thing, we've talked about it before, collecting stories of the pandemic uh, and, and preserving those uh, for posterity's sake. That's right. I think oftentimes people don't realize that this is the kind of information that we're looking for. So mm-hmm. um, right now, history is being made. History is being made every day. And so um, we're really hoping that people will share with us their experiences as related to COVID and the pandemic. Um, and you can do that also through our website, HancockHistoricalMuseum.org. There's an opportunity for you to just type in your experiences or if there's artwork um, journal entries, things like that have, that have been created as a result of COVID, we'd really like you to consider donating those to the museum as well. Yeah, so uh, 80, 90, 100 years from now, you and I won't be here, but uh, somebody <laughs> will be uh, talking about this that we are going through right now right. in a historical context and using these stories uh, maybe as part of a future exhibit. So uh, the uh, Love Letters exhibit actually opens uh, next week. What else is going on at the museum? Well, we are restarting um, our weekly, or excuse me, our monthly brown bag lecture series Mm -hmm. that will start tomorrow, actually. And for the first two months of this year, um, February and March, the first two months of the series, we're going to keep those lectures virtual. Um, So you can attend via Zoom, and you can uh, make your reservation to get that Zoom link by just calling us at the museum. You can call us today, 419 423 
888-888-4433. Or again, visit our website and give us an email uh, or make your reservation through the website, HancockHistoricalMuseum.org. Again, February and March's Brown Bag Lectures will be all virtual, but we've had great attendance, and I think people are getting more comfortable with yeah. Zoom as a platform as well. So tomorrow's lecture is going to be with um, a former a Finley native, uh, Dr. Carol Maurer Butler. She's recently written a book that is a collection of um, many of the letters that her father wrote when he was serving in the Pacific during World War II. Mm. Um, and that book is called With Love and Affection, Your Sailor Ben. And we actually have the book available for sale in our gift shop, but she'll be discussing his service during the war. Again, here are those personal recollections uh, compiled and really gives us a, a, a glimpse uh, back into uh, history as it was being experienced, not just from the textbooks, but uh, firsthand and that, uh, that firsthand account. That's right. And I know those firsthand accounts have been so important to Carol as she's gone through them. She really put this yeah. book together in celebration of what would, be, what would have been her father's 100th birthday this year. Um, so she's very passionate about the stories that are told through these letters. Um, and we're looking forward to having her share those with us tomorrow. The lecture starts at noon. Again, we just need you to make a reservation. It's free, uh, but give us a call at the museum or register via our website. All right. Uh, anything else to uh, highlight happening at the uh, museum as we head into a uh, new year? Um, we just want to make sure that people know we're open. We're open to the public starting today, Wednesday through Friday, 10 to 4. We're going to hold off on reopening for weekend hours until um, we have our volunteers back with us. Hopefully in March or April, we're waiting for some of our volunteers to be able to get those vaccines and return safely. Okay. Um, but Wednesday through Friday, 10 to 4. And, of course, our gift shop is open, too. So um, make sure that you consider that if you're looking for a special Finley-specific gift. All right. Again, uh, Sarah Sisser, the Hancock Historical Museum, with us this morning. We have a link up on our webpage for more information about uh, the uh, new exhibit and uh, the uh, brown bag lunch uh, lecture series and everything else going on at the museum. Sarah, thanks very much for the update. We appreciate it. Thanks so much, Chris. Take care. And that will wrap up today's podcast. I want to thank all of our guests uh, for joining us on the program today. As always, remember you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about on the show at our webpage. That is goodmornings.net. We are always on 24-7 on the World Wide Web. You can also connect with us on social media. Contact us via email. If there's something you want to share directly, sign up for our daily email newsletter. It's all there, goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow on the program, Blanchard Valley Health Systems' Dr. Bill Coase will join us for the latest on the local coronavirus vaccine rollout, the race against new variants, and the effectiveness of updated guidance to help slow the spread. So until tomorrow morning... That is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. Catch you back here tomorrow.